0: Hello, hello. This is Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0. I am thrilled to be back with you on this Monday morning. I am just absolutely thrilled. I am appreciating those who are tuning in regularly and appreciating those who are emailing me at um, le2.0radio at gmail.com. I'm really loving the commentary back. And if you like what you're hearing, please reach out to me. All right, here's the question for you. Have you ever heard of the Tougaloo 9 or the St. Helena 4? Those are the handles attached to groups of young people, that would be young black people, who attempted to desegregate public libraries in the South in the early 1960s. Yes, you heard that right, public libraries. They were segregated in the Deep South um, as a result of Jim Crow. Now, folks who know me know that I'm a huge fan of libraries and librarians. I mean, I don't get me started. Um, they are wonderful protectors of the truth. And access to knowledge. And I've had the opportunity to speak to librarians on a number of different occasions. And let me tell you, I let them know how much I appreciate them. Yet, there was a time in the South when libraries were part of Jim Crow. Absolutely. And as a a writer, um, I think also a librarian, a person named Wayne Wigman, W-I-E-G-M-A-N, reported in the June 1st issue of American Libraries magazine there was, there was great consternation and great um, issue down in the South relative to the libraries being segregated, and just like everything else in Jim Crow, there were colored libraries and white libraries, and just like there were sit-ins at lunch counters and at and on buses and at bus stations and at public. Restrooms. there were a series of sit-ins or attempted sit-ins at segregated libraries. And so the Tougaloo 9 incident took place on March 27, 1961, when nine students from the historically black college, Tougaloo College, entered the Jackson, Mississippi Public Library. And I'm going to pick it up where Wegman writes about this. He writes that one of the leader of the Tougaloo Nine, um, a young man named Joseph Jackson, Jr., when he approached the circulation desk with his heart thumping, um, he stammered a message he had memorized. Quote, Ma'am, I want to know if you have this philosophy book. I need it for a research project. And then, uh, unquote. And then Wigman goes on to write these words. You know you don't belong here, the library assistant yelled, proceeding to call the library director. May I help you? the latter asked, coming out of her office. We're doing research, the students responded. There's a colored library on Mill Street, she said. This is the librarian replying. You are welcome there. Almost immediately, Jackson later reported, police entered the building and told the students to get out of the library. No one moved. Please remember that phrase. No one moved. The chief of police then told them they were under arrest they were held at the county jail or the city jail for several days and then went to the courthouse and then when taken to the courthouse a hundred black supporters um, were present outside the courthouse and then a couple of blocks away there are hundreds of whites gathered under a confederate flag when the when the onlookers the supporters Outside the jail, outside the courthouse, applauded the students as they were being led into the courthouse. So you've got this crowd of people applauding the students. Police entered the crowd and started beating people. In the crowd was a man named Medgar Evans. Med, Medgar Evers, excuse me, who was with the NAACP of Mississippi at the time. And Medgar, along with several women and children, was pistol whipped. Now, you'll remember later that a couple years after that, in 1963, Medgar Evers was killed. He was assassinated outside of his home where his wife and children were inside. Three years later, um, on another incident in Louisiana at the St. Helena branch of the local library in Greensburg, Louisiana, four black teens approached the library doors. The librarians saw them coming and shut the doors and locked them. They came back another day, and the librarians not only shut the doors, but then they left the library itself. The The teens came back, the four teens came back yet another day, and they had the same response. A few days later, when they came back again to lock doors, the teens decided they'd make up for it by going to the courthouse to drink out of the white Only water fountain. At that point, they were confronted by the custodian for the courthouse, who yelled racial epithets at them and then struck one of the teens with a lead pipe, telling them never to come into the courthouse ever again. That teen was taken to the hospital. Author Wegman writes that as he researched his article, he spoke to various library colleges in the South excuse me, library colleagues in the South. Librarians were surprised to hear about the segregation. In fact, um, they thought the opposite. One of the librarians... Um, believe that when Wegman wanted to uh, brought up the subject that 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 the librarian would hear from Wegman that the libraries were bastions of desegregation that the librarians were fighting Jim Crow and when Wegman told them no that's not the case that the libraries joined in with Jim Crow just like every other public institution that librarian was gravely disappointed In this time of 2018, with fake news and near exhaustion over unbelievable words and actions coming from our leaders, we have to remember how humans can so easily become accustomed to viewing others as lesser or unworthy. Let us not forget the courage of so many forgotten humans fighting for basic dignity and equality for all humans. Will you remember what I said about when the police came to the library with the Tugaloo Nine? And remember, as Wegman wrote, they did not move. The police ordered them out of the library, and the nine students did not move. Think of the courage and the guts and the degree to which hearts were racing when they just made that decision that they would disobey a white police officer. The guts and the courage that it takes to say no with a huge exclamation mark to the face of oppression, to a system that castigates to a system that says that some are less worthy than others. It is in 2018 at a time when we're dealing with whole groups of people and then now continents where people are thought of as lesser that we have to remember the tugaloo nine my great thanks to renee Renee grassy a dakota county librarian for sending me the story about the tugaloo nine and um and the um other group from louisiana thank you for that renee you've been listening to me Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0, a different kind of radio show, one that taps into the idealism that all of us have where we long for a better, more inclusive world. That's really what makes America great, don't you think? I'd love to hear from you at Ellie 2.0 radio at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, visit my website at EllieKrug.com, and I will be back to give you the second half of this show in a minute.
1: I'm Jeff Erdman and I'm running for the DFL endorsement for Congress in the 2nd Congressional District to unseat Jason Lewis and provide people a real working class voice in Washington. I grew up in a union home in Lewiston, Minnesota. My dad worked in a flour mill and my mom provided daycare. My wife Ruth and I have raised three kids in Dakota County. I've been an American government teacher and head football coach for 28 years with the last 18 years being at Rosemont High School. Ruth works as a speech therapist in schools. We've dedicated our lives to local families, and now I'm running to serve them. Here's what I believe. Health care is a human right. I'm the only candidate pushing for a single-payer Medicare-for-all system. I'm also the only candidate who opposes drilling, and I have aggressive plans for localizing green jobs and creating wealth in our local economies. It's time for real political reform to take money out of politics. Learn more and see how to caucus February 6th at erdmanforcongress.com. I'm Jeff Erdman, and it's time... For change.
2: Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com. From classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Experience cozy fireside dining at the Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul, specializing in fresh seafood, fire-roasted meats, and pizzas all cooked over an oak-burning fire, and salads and sandwiches, too. Join them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week, located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking, or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. Burger Moe's is the perfect neighborhood gathering spot before and after Excel Center events or anytime. Offering 20 fresh never frozen burger varieties, more than 60 beers on tap and happy hours twice daily. Burger Mose is located at 242 West 7th Street in St. Paul with plenty of free parking and online at BurgerMoes.com.
0: Turn to Auto Technical with your vehicle donation. Even though Auto Technical is a small nonprofit, we have helped more families with transportation than any organization in Minnesota. Since 94, we have reconditioned donated vehicles so they have a higher tax
1: benefit. Call Richard at 612-919-5526. 612-919-5526 or autotech.org. The place where fierce independence is the norm. It's the Normang Old Man Show. AM 950 KTNF, St. Louis Park, Minneapolis, St. Paul. The progressive voice of Minnesota. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul. Welcome
0: back to AM 950 in and LE 2.0, 2.0, where I am not afraid to call myself a practical idealist. And where I'd like to talk about how together we can make the world a better place. And so uh, David Letterman is out of retirement, sort of, with a new show um, titled My Guest Needs No Introduction. And as reported in a January 12 story by Brian Bishop in The Verge, uh, the new show has Letterman as a conversationalist first and a comedian second. I really liked how he put that. Uh, Letterman's first guest, and so um, this show is taped, so um, you're getting this maybe after uh, after Letterman's already done a second show, but Letterman's first guest was Barack Obama, where we heard about the former president adjusting to private life and loving his role as a father, including the father of a college uh, freshman. And the setup for the show, for Letterman's show, is just chairs and no elaborate set and no music. And um, President Obama made a remark about that um, when he was being interviewed. But of great interest to me um, uh, was uh, that on the show, Letterman is doing a number of different things. I mean, it is all just simply interview But on the show with um, President Obama, there was also a breakaway to a location scene, um, a cutaway scene, where Letterman is standing with Congressman John Lewis, one of the pioneers of the Civil Rights Museum, and they're standing together on the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. And for those of you who are not schooled in our history, um, the Edmund Pettus Bridge is the location of where Um, the infamous Bloody Sunday march took place where police attacked peaceful marchers with water cannons and dogs and batons. And Congressman Lewis was beaten um, on that day. And that march uh, happened in 1965. And you can watch, of course, the show and you can read um, Bishop's review, but what I want to focus on is something that... Bishop reports that Letterman says on the show. And so I'm going to quote uh, at length here a little bit. um, So bear with me, please, about that. And so Bishop writes that, quote, perhaps it's the subject matter of the Obama episode or the interview with Lewis, but there is a subtle thought line that's hinted several times. Colon. The idea that after Letterman, excuse me, the idea that after Letterman took off time to travel and spend time with his family, he is now reassessing what he has accomplished in his life, and perhaps that he feels he could have done more. And now he quotes um, Letterman in his piece. Bishop is doing that. Quote, Mister President. This is what I am struggling with at this point in my life. I have been nothing but lucky, he says in the show's final moments. A month after Lewis faced down the incident now known as Bloody Sunday on the Edmund Pettus Bridge, Letterman explains he and his friends were trying to get on a cruise ship so they could purchase alcohol without worrying about the local age limit. Why wasn't I in Alabama? Letterman asks, seemingly on the verge of tears. Why was I not aware? I have been nothing but lucky, unquote. Wow. It's a big wow, because that is darn similar to something that I wrote in November. And I'm going to quote that. Right now that I wrote Quote, this is from Ellie Krug Quote, of late I have been thinking about how lucky I have it How easy it is for me A white, educated Relatively financially secure Woman who happens to be transgender Living in the very LGBTQ friendly Twin cities Compared to LGBTQ people In other parts of Minnesota The Midwest, in our country. I certainly don't feel as if I've done enough to support those who live in more conservative areas. In other words, with the platform I enjoy, I haven't publicly spoken out about inequ- inequity nor offered words of support nearly enough." Unquote. Now, I'm not David Letterman by any stretch, <laughs> but I think it's uncanny that both he and I arrive at the same phrase of how lucky we have been. And so let me shift gears now away from Letterman and let me talk about something that I actually plan to do later this week. So in in three days from now, I'll be getting in my car to start... A trip to the South, what I'm terming a speaking and listening trip. I'll start out by speaking at events in Tallahassee, Florida, organized by the uh, Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. That's called PFLAG. They've arranged for a couple of talks for me to speak to groups in Tallahassee. From there, I think I'm speaking in Mobile, Alabama, to another LGBT group. And later in the week, that is the first full week of February, I'm going to be meeting with the Birmingham, Alabama Bar Association for a mini, um, a mini conference to talk about some things related to human inclusivity, to offer some thoughts about maybe how I could present to that group on a future date. Actually, I've met an idealist, another idealist in Birmingham, who's making it possible for me to speak to that bar association it's always quite wonderful when i meet idealists it's like we speak a language that's so incredibly our own and then after that as i continue my tour and my trip across alabama and then into mississippi i'm going to speak at old miss law school from there, I'm going to go to Nashville and speak at Vanderbilt Law School. And then after that, I'm going to go to Indianapolis. Now, some may not consider um, Indiana part of the South, but, you know, Southern Indiana is the birthplace of the Ku Klux Klan. And I'm going to speak at um, the University of Indiana, uh, Indiana, their law school. And I'm hoping that on this trip that I will also get an opportunity to maybe speak at some other places. I'm, I'm still trying to set some things up. This is not only a speaking tour, um, and, and, and I'll get back to what I'm going to speak about, but it's also a listening tour because we have here in the Twin Cities and in Minnesota, we have these stereotypes about Southerners, um, and I've got to tell you, I've had a number of people expressing to me concerns for my safety on this trip. I mean, people are worried about me in some way. Being at risk. I, um, I believe in the goodness of most people. I really do. I mean, I will, of course, be smart, but I would be smart anywhere, not just necessarily in the South, smart about my safety. What is it that I'm going to talk about? Well, you know, I have um, a general inc- human inclusivity training called Gray Area Thinking um, maybe I may be using, speaking about that, but I think mostly what I'm going to talk about is about being human and about how we group and label other humans for a variety of reasons and how it is our commonalities, that is, the things that we share in common, such as we all want our kids to succeed. Frankly, that's all you ever need to ask anyone. Do you have kids? And you can speak literally to any human. Um, My idea is that I will go and I will talk about our commonalities. I will talk about our collective grit and resiliency. And when I'm speaking to mainly LGBTQ audiences, I'm going to remind them about their grit. And I'm also going to tell them that there are people in this country that have their back, that I am here to report from Minneapolis, that there are people in the Twin Cities that care about people in the South, Because we're all Americans. We're all humans. You know, and some of us are aspiring Americans. And I think overall, if you say, Ellie, what do you want everybody to walk away with? The, The walk away, the takeaway would be that there is hope for our country, that we can get past these divisions, that we can stop, that we can stop the grouping and labeling, that we can do it. But it just takes a lot of work, and it takes facing a great deal of fear. We do. We can do that. So that's, yes, I'm going to go do this. Hopeless, idealist, Ellie Krug on a road trip to the south. 1,300 miles just to get there. I'm guessing I'm going to put on another couple thousand miles before I come back. And um, with some hope, with some help, um, and some luck, I may be able to report from the field about my experience on Monday, the 4th of February. Excuse me, Monday, the 5th of February. So we'll see. But wish me luck. Um, and you can certainly know that I'll, I'll talk about the trip when I come back. You can follow me, by the way, because I'll be blogging about it. And if you go to my website at elliekrug.com, I will be blogging every day about my experience, about who it is that I meet. I'll be posting pictures. I may um, do some uh, live reporting as well during the week um, to call into some of the AM 950 shows that are live. Um, We'll see. I don't know. It's up in the air. Um, But I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it because I'm lucky. And I'm going to do it because I feel I have an obligation to go and tell other humans. That we care about them. So, there you go. I hope you've been enjoying LE 2.0. It is a work in progress. Um, but the station believes in me and they're giving me this platform and I'm so incredibly thankful for it. And so you've been listening to me, Ellie Krug one of the few transgender radio hosts in the world. With Le 2.0 and AM 950, if you enjoyed the show, email me at le2.0radio at gmail.com. Let me know what topics you'd like to have covered. Tell others about this show. We have much work to take at National. I would love to do that. The ultimate, the ultimate goal is impact. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. You just, you just do me great, Brett. Thanks so very much. And if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. I'll be back next week, maybe live. Take care. Bye.